Last week we looked at three words, perception, perspective, and focus. Perception is that place that we find ourselves in that's really reality of what's going on in my life today? Where do I find myself? We saw the story of Joseph. He's betrayed by his family and betrayed and, you know, falsely accused by a bunch of people. And all those things were real. And, And if we try and say that, you know, sometimes what you're going through isn't real or maybe someone tries to tell you that, we're not going to tell you that, but someone maybe in your life is telling you, oh, just get over it or any of those things. Those things are real. Those are your perceptions. But your perspective is then how you see things. And your perspective can be shaped by what you focus on. And those are the three words we looked at last week. Again, I will say that your struggle does not define you. So everything Joseph went through that we saw last week did not define him. That's not what is really what makes everything exactly the way it's going to be in your life. Your, your struggle does not define you, but your relationship with God does. That relationship that you have with God does define who you are, and it defines how you respond in those circumstances, which is why it's our first goal, our first thing in our four tenets of everything. And this morning we're driving in, and we, we got to pick up Michael, and I, I mentioned a couple of things. He goes, oh, I know the rest of them. I'm like, yay, I've done my job. You know all four of our tenets. But the first one is to know God. This week we have a crazy story from the Bible. But first, I want us to look who, at who Paul, the apostle, actually was. Now, you'll, you'll find that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But you'll also find out that he didn't start off as the guy that's going around promoting Christianity. He wasn't with Jesus. He didn't travel with Jesus. He wasn't with Jesus on the earth. But he actually was one of the law enforcement, if you will. He was one of the guys that was persecuting the Christians, and he was going out, and he was very zealous in his job. So he's the guy that's beating down the door and dragging people out and, you know, murdering them and beating them and taking them to jail and taking them to prison. And he was just really, really, really convinced that he was doing the right thing, and he really liked his job. We pick up in the story that we're about to look at that, that when they first started persecuting the church, one of the first things that they did is they got Stephen, and he's one of the elders. He's one of the, the top people. After they crucified Jesus, they got Stephen. And they're like, man, we, we, we're going to squash this thing, and we're going to push this thing down. So they got him out there, and, and they took him through this terrible, terrible ordeal, and they stoned him to death. And we're going to pick up in that story in just a second. But Paul is one of the guys that's signing the warrant saying, hey, I agree with it. I found enough probable cause that he is one of those Jesus people, and he's one of those people, and he is worthy of death. Acts chapter 7, if you're following along with us, it'll be up on the screen, starting with verse 59. And they, the group of them, stoned him, Stephen, and Stephen prayed. And I love that he's praying after the manner of Jesus even in his last moments. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The same way Jesus said, Father in heaven, receive my spirit. I commend it to you. I'm giving it over to you now. It's kind of like him saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Then he fell to his knees and he shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Same way Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold them accountable for what they're doing to me. He's, Stephen's also saying the same thing. And it says, and with that, he died. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 1, continuing. Now Saul, who was later renamed Paul, same guy, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He's one of those that's like, yep, he's worthy of it. Yep, that's the right thing. And yes, that's what it should happen. It continues. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. So they're all like, man, I didn't sign up for this. And I'm like, they're all like all over there because they don't want to be like in their house worshiping, you know, and all of a sudden their door's beaten down and, and they're drug out and, and they're going through all these terrible things. And some devout men, verse 2, came and buried Stephen with great mourning. It's just so terrible. It's like, man, man, we thought we were following on with what Jesus gave us. But Paul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Again, he thought that was the good thing to do. And he went from house to house, verse 3, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So he is just trying to clean house, and he's just busting the door down, dragging people out of bed, taking them down there and beating them and all this stuff. And Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. I mean, he couldn't think about anything else. He was consumed with this whole thing. And he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Eager to kill. Man, he was so invested in this. He was all in. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus and asking for their cooperation in the arrest of all the followers of the way. Now, they didn't call it church at that time. They didn't say we're the New Testament church. They didn't say, they called it the way. Because Jesus kept pointing to you're on a path. You're on this journey. Be a follower of me. And so what they called that New Testament church was the way. So here in the arrest warrant we see, he's saying we want to arrest everyone who is a follower of, quote, the way that he found. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back into Jerusalem in chains. Paul's going all out for this thing, and man, he was just so zealous. But along the way, as he's traveling from city to city, he, he takes this road to Damascus, and there he finds Jesus. And that's not the focus of our message today, and it's a great thing if you go read on your own. But he comes face to face with Jesus, and, and he's blinded by the, the presence of God. And, and when, you, when you're in that thing where you know, you sense that someone's higher authority, his, his words were, Lord, Lord. He, he wasn't like, hey, who's this that's doing this to me? I mean, he was humbled right away. And then, then he went for, I believe it was three days, and then, then God gave him his sight back, and, and, and he, God started pouring into him. And he spent time with Jesus in the Spirit, and, and Jesus just really just gave him the foundation of everything. And then he turns from being this one who's persecuting and zealous to kill all the followers. Now he's the guy coming say, hey, I want to be your speaker today at church. And they're like, I don't think so. Can you imagine that he's been the guy beating down the door and you got all the stories like, watch out. Hey, hey, watch out for this guy because Paul, man, when he comes in here, he's like, ah. you know, he's wanting to do all this stuff. He's like, hey, I want to come to your church. You're like, ah, no. But then you start seeing the heart of God that had changed Saul into Paul. And he becomes one of the leading people 
in that time. Goes on, as I said, to write two-thirds of the New Testament that we have today. So now he's made this huge transition in his life, and he's gone from being the one who's persecuting to now he's the one who's leading the charge and telling people how to know God. Now along the way, we pick up where all of this was context. Now we're where we're going. In Acts chapter 16, picking up with verse 16. One day, as we, Paul and Silas, were going to a place of prayer. Notice they were going to, to church to go pray in their, their place of prayer. Maybe it was the 8 o'clock prayer like we have on Saturday morning or 21 days of prayer. I don't know what it was, but they were going down to pray. We met a slave girl who was demon-possessed, and she was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her master's. So she's got a devil inside of her that is able to tell her things that have happened in the past and things that will happen in the future. And and people say, is that stuff real? It's absolutely real. And the devil has, he's a spirit and he knows all the stuff that's happened because he, you know, has observed it. So it's pretty easy for him to tell you things that have happened in the past. And, And he points and he says these terrible things in your ear and tells you what you should do and all this stuff. So he can kind of shape and tries to manipulate and shape all this stuff. But that's real. And so here she's got some people that are her investors and they're out there putting her out to make money and they're just making a killing because this demon that's inside this little girl. Tell you a short story in the middle of this. When my wife and I started dating, and she was working at Steak and Ale, and she was still living in Florida, and I'd moved back to Texas, and we're talking, and she's like, hey, this girl started working at Steak and Ale, and she's wearing black makeup and black everything, black nail polish, and, and I heard that she's a witch. And I heard that she, her boyfriend is actually a warlock, and they have an altar to Satan in their house. She goes, that's just kind of creeping me out. And I said, well, watch out. Don't let her touch you because, you know, they like to touch your hair and they're trying to, you know, connect up some stuff and, and all this stuff. So the next day she's telling me she's trying to touch me. And so Lenore's doing like the Matrix thing, you know. So she's like flying all around. Not don't touch me, no, you know, just flipping around, probably holding trays, you know, doing all this stuff because she's multi-talented. And, and then, you know, just like, hey, stay away from that girl, well, I come into town, and we get engaged, and, you know, I'm going to pick her up from work one day, and, and I'm just sitting there waiting at the hostess stand, and she's finishing up and doing her little job, and I'm so excited to see her because she's so beautiful, and she's bringing me food, and, and, and just so excited about this night, and, and as I'm sitting there, this is how I like to do it. If, you see, if you're hanging around me at any time, you'll see me. If I'm just there downtime or anything like that on an airplane or just sitting there waiting, I kind of cover over my, my face, over my my nose and everything will just make a little tent, and I just start praying. And I, I, don't, I don't pray in such a way that it's, oh, you're like, oh, I'm praying to God right now. You know, I just like, it's really just between me, and I'm just praying in the Spirit, and I'm just praying. I'm just, I, that's just my life. As I'm doing that, I see this girl come out. And it's the craziest thing in the world. She's like hugging the wall like this, like literally just exactly like this. And her boyfriend or guy who turned out to be a boyfriend is right behind her. He's doing the same thing. And their eyes are glued on me as they got past me. And then they ran out the door. And I'm like, well, that was odd. And mind you, I'm just sitting here. No one can tell what I'm doing. I'm just sitting here praying. And, and, and all of a sudden, I, I'm like, huh. 
So Lenore gets off work, and we're driving. I'm like, hey, was that girl you said it was a witch there? She goes, yeah, she and her boyfriend left through the bar. And that was them. You see, the, the Spirit of God can be inside of you, and the devils can recognize that what's going on inside of you. You don't need to be scared of them. They're scared of you. That's why they were hugging the wall trying to get away from the Spirit of God that's in me. Well, the same thing happens here with Paul in verse 17. She, the little girl, was following Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they've come to tell you how to be saved. Can you imagine? They're just walking along, going to pray. They're going to church. And here's this demon-possessed little girl going, hey, those are the real guys and and they're servants of the Most High God and and they'll tell you how you got to be saved. That's kind of crazy. Verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned to her and said, Demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes, however, of wealth were now shattered. Because here this little girl that could go and get money from people to tell them about the bad stuff that happened or tell them fortune telling, all this stuff. She's like, I got nothing. Because that devil has gone out of her. So now they can't make any more money out of her. And their cash cow is gone. So now this is the whole thing. This is the whole setup of this whole thing. So now they grab Paul and Silas. And they drag them before the authorities of the marketplace. And this is what they said. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. It wasn't true. The whole uproar is you're not making money anymore. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Now, how do you like that? You're just following God. You're just trying to go to the house of prayer and pray. You're just trying to go and live a Christian life. And you're just walking along the way. And and these little things are starting to happen around you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself having your clothes ripped off of you. So you're naked and you're getting beaten with these wooden sticks. And and they weren't being nice. These these are police beatings. That's not new. But this was sanctioned. They're telling them to do it. So everybody's watching. And they're just beating them and beating them. And, you know, they're hitting them in the back of the legs, upside the head, all over. I mean, and they're buckling and all this thing. Verse 23 says, they were severely beaten. And then when then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered, watch this, was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So here they're just going to church. They got pulled out, falsely accused. This whole story is trumped up and made up into all this stuff. And they're beaten really, really bad, severely beaten. They can't walk, I imagine. They're bleeding everywhere. It's a terrible thing. And then they're taken to prison. That's not bad enough. They're taken to prison, and they're given to the, the jailer and says, hey, make sure they don't escape. So the jailer, verse 24, put them in the inner dungeon. And, and the way it's described and they don't really know where this place is. There's a couple of places that they think was the right one. But the way that it's described is you've got the jail up here, and they didn't have running water or sewer like what we would have now. So gravity just takes it all downstairs, and there's a downstairs part of it, a dungeon part of it, and, and that's where all the yucky stuff flows and goes to. And then there's other places. That's where you put the worst of the worst. And that's where they put Paul and Silas. So there's no way they can get out. And then they chain them up. 
And it's described that they can't really stand up, although they're beaten so bad, I believe that they couldn't have stood up. But they're chained up here, so it kind of holds them. So it's like pulling on their arms and their hands this way, and they're chained down here, and they're just kind of suspended here, but they're hurting from everything, and it's just, it's got to be swelling up, and maybe some broken bones, and and all this stuff. And, And this is where they find themselves. Their day didn't start off thinking they're going to end up in jail. Verse 25, around midnight. So midnight, the end of the night, beginning of a new day. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I think this is a most amazing verse in the Bible. A great description. Because they were setting out to go to church to pray. God interrupted And they're like, I'm not going to let anything interrupt me, and I'm still going to pray. And I'm going to sing to God. And all the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And I highlight that because I really want you to see that what was going on in their lives, you would think God's doing this great thing. God's going to make their chains fall off and their door's going to open, but all the rest of them are going to stay closed, right? No, what happened in their life, they're focusing and they're praying and they're worshiping God affected everybody around them. Even people they didn't know, even people that they hadn't spent any time with, it sowed into their lives at all. All of a sudden, their doors are open and their chains have fallen off as well. Verse 27, remember what they were told. Don't let him escape. The jailer woke up to see that the prison doors wide open and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Now, wouldn't that have solved their problems in the natural if he kills himself, the doors have opened up, their chains have fallen off, the jailer, the guy that's supposed to keep him there, he's going to kill himself. I'm like, here we go. We get to get out of here now today. Today's our free day. Okay, everybody, okay, make a line. Let's go. They could all escape then. But Paul shouted, verse 28, stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. And, and you know, I, I was in prayer yesterday. I, I just really felt the, the burden over a spirit of suicide that's over our country right now, over our nation, and over our regions. And as you probably know, there's two celebrities that had committed suicide this last week. And so there's so much people talking about it. And there's so many other people that, that, that commit suicide, that kill themselves. And they think that that's the solution for them based on what they assume is going on. And, and, and Paul's like, Stop! Don't kill yourself. That's not your answer, and that's not my answer, Paul's like, You killing yourself is not my solution. And can I just tell you today, that's still the same thing. Don't kill yourself because that's not the solution. That's not the answer to your problem or anyone else's problem. Then the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and downstairs and fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said this, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. See, the way they responded in not doing the natural thing of beating feet and trying to book it out of there, like, hey man, let's let's hobble out of here. I mean, I know we can't run or very, but let's get out of here as easy as we can, and hey, let him just do whatever. That led that man to say, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. Everyone in their household and has to be saved. It's just the jailer. But you see, the point of contact with the man of God, worshiping and praying in the middle of this terrible situation, affected all the prisoners, and now the jailer, the warden comes, and it's his family as well. All of these people are being affected by two guys. They were falsely accused. They found themselves beaten, found themselves in a terrible, terrible situation. And I believe that when they were being, when they were beaten and they're down there and they're just hanging on there and it's just a terrible situation, that would be a good place for any of us to go, oh man, we got to leave here. Let's get out. As soon as we get out of here, we're leaving this town. I mean, let them go to hell. I don't care about them. Look at what they did to us. But I believe they are praying. And I don't believe they're praying like, God, my legs hurt. I pray I don't have a broken bone. I need some Band-Aids or oh, any of these things. I believe they're praying for their city. I believe they're praying for those people that are around them. I believe that they have the heart of God that Paul came face to face with Jesus and now it changed him when he knew God. And he's there praying and he's got a concern for his whole region and that's what they're interceding and they're worshiping God and all of a sudden everything starts changing. Verse 32, they shared the word of God with him and all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, so this happened at midnight, they started worshiping God. We don't know how long they worshiped God until the earthquake happened and all this stuff. So this may be two or three or four o'clock in the morning now. They're in this guy's house and they're just, just telling him about God and, and Jesus and the whole thing. It says, then the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. They hadn't had their wounds washed yet. They were just beaten and dropped down inside there. But now they're up there in the jailer's house and he's now ministering to them. He's trying to help them out with their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And I love this scripture because it shows that they didn't say, hey, whenever you get around to it, maybe next month or something, come by where we're meeting and we'll take you down to the river. They said, no, there's an immediacy of you just gave your heart to the Lord. We need to fill the bathtub up right now. We're going to dunk you right now. And we got baptism coming up in two weeks. And let me just tell you, the same thing is there. Don't put it off. If you haven't been baptized, man, this is the time. Or maybe if you were baptized at another time and you say, man, God's just done some new things in my life. There's something new going. Get baptized again. You can't be baptized too many times. But let that be a new significance of what's going on in your life. The next morning, verse 35, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those guys go. So the, Paul, the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are now free to go go in peace. But you see, God sent them, allowed them to go through this terrible situation that they began their way just going to the house of God to pray. Ended up in the night doing what they began. But you see what they did, they shaped their future by what they were doing. What you worship will shape your future. If you worship men's opinion, or their approval, that will shape your, your future. If you worship worldly desires, that will shape your future. If you worship carnal interests, that's going to shape your future. The warden and his entire family came to know God, but at what cost? Verse 23 says they were severely beaten and thrown into prison. 
Had the warden killed himself, he would have entered into eternity without knowing God. And his family likely would have as well. At the end of Paul's life, we find him summarizing his life. And he talks about a little of this in 2 Corinthians 11. Starting verse 23, he talks about, he goes, Man, I've worked harder. I've been in prison more often. Been whipped with times without a number. So it's not like it's measured out and disciplined. But it's just like they're just beating you and they're not counting. And I face death again and again. Verse 24, five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and day adrift in the sea. I have traveled along many journeys, and I've faced dangers from the rivers and from robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people. It's like Joseph. Man, my own people have turned against me. They're dangerous for me as well. And I face dangers in the cities and the deserts and the seas. And I've faced dangers from men who claim to be believers, but who aren't. Isn't that just like us today? Man, there's people that say they're Christians, and they're the worst people to us. That they will stab you in the back quicker than anybody else. That's nothing new. Paul's like, hey, that's the same thing. I face dangers from people who said they claim to be believers, but they're not. He goes on in verse 28. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my of my concern for all the churches. And, and here you get a glimpse into the heart of a pastor. That he's saying, I'm not just got all of this other stuff that happens to me, that that's my perspective. All those things that he just described, those actually was his reality. But in the other side of that, his perception is, I've got a daily burden of the church for those people of God who are weak without my feeling that they're weak. So when you're going through something and, and you've got to struggle, Paul's like, man, I feel that. And who's led astray. And I don't get just burnt up with anger. He's like, man, I'm so concerned. That's what tells me even more. That they're not praying for themselves when they're in that, that dungeon at the bottom. They're praying for other people. Apostle Paul historically recorded. It's not in the Bible, but it is re- re- um, recorded by other people. He was condemned to death by decapitation by Nero. Tertullian writes that Paul had a similar death to that of John the Baptist. How can Paul go through all of those things that he just described to him? And we went into great detail on one of them and still worship. How can he do that? What is worship? In the coming weeks, we're going to look at that. We're going to look and dive into what is that worship that his focus was shifted on here. That yeah, his perception was he's in a terrible situation and his, his bones hurt and his legs hurt and his muscles and everything aches and he's probably bleeding and he's got open wounds and nobody cared. and got raw sewage all around him. How can I worship in that terrible situation? Because he has a perspective wasn't on what was going on, his perception. But he changed his focus to God. The Apostle Paul gives us a great insight of how we're to live our life. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. How is it that he was able to go through such terrible things over and over and over again? 
and still worship. Still have a heart for church, for people like you and people like me. Let me ask you this this morning. Where do you find yourself today? Do you push through the unfair treatment and even abuse to find a place to pray and worship? See, it had been so easy for Paul and Silas just to go, man, I give up. I can't take anymore. It's unfair what's happening to me. I didn't do anything. I mean, we're just doing what, what we're supposed to do. See, prayer is a communication with the one who you have a relationship with and love. But worship is when you recognize that he is bigger than all of your difficulties. But being in a relationship requires that you start a relationship with God. And if you don't have that, there's nothing to worship about or to. It all begins with a decision to follow the way. Remember? When he's writing his arrest warrants, he's going after the people that are, quote, the way. On that journey, it all begins right there by following Jesus. So we're going to talk about two things. We're going to have two prayers. One is for those people that you would say, I haven't followed Christ. I haven't made that decision to follow him yet. Or maybe you once did and you kind of got off that path. That the way kind of stumbled and now you're not on that. And then after that, we're going to pray for all of us to have unfair treatment, that we recognize that what's going on in our lives may be affecting other people. If that's you for the first category this morning, that you, you're ready to follow Jesus, I have a prayer. You pray. This is personal between you and God. We don't embarrass you. We're not going to have you come up front. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because this is private. There's a public declaration, and that's baptism where you say, hey, I'm saying I've decided, but this one is private. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to help you with the words. Say this. Say, Jesus, today I ask you to come into my life to forgive me. I invite you into my life, my hopes, and my future. I surrender it all to you. I come just as I am, and I choose to follow you. From today forward, the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Today I give you my life. Now, Father, I pray for everyone that prayed that prayer for the first time or for another time. God, I pray that I know that immediately in heaven just this great celebration erupted. The biggest party we can ever imagine. And Lord, you're right there with them and you're accepting them. God, I pray for all, everyone. The sound of my voice. Lord, we've all had times that we faced unfair treatment. That we're falsely accused. That we're just walking on the path to go to church. 
doing the right thing ended up in a bad place. We saw Joseph. This week we saw Paul and Silas. God, but in that time, in that place, we can choose to be overcome with concern for ourselves or we can change our perspective by what we focus on. God, we can choose to worship you. And Lord, in our worshiping you and in our prayers for those around us, for our cities, that you can shape all the people around us, even people we haven't met, like those prisoners whose doors and chains came off. Lord, like the jailer and his family. God, we ask you that you touch all the people around us as we step out and we change our perspective on from that which is real, from that thing that is going on really in our life that's trying to take all of our focus and all of our attention. And we shift our attention to you, that you handle all of it. Lord, I give you this time, give you this message, God. Lord, I pray that everyone will get everything out of it that you gave me to give. I give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.